With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, everybody, welcome to the Barca Blagranas podcast. My name is Josh. I'm joined by our old pal, Emil Avanesian. Emil, how are we doing? I'm good, Josh. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Um, so first off, before we get into things, what have you been working on? I know it's been the, the holidays over the last you know month and a half or month so, so I know it's been a little bit slower for some people, but haven't talked to you in a little bit, so curious as to what you've been working on. Yeah, so it's, um, I mean, I think I've mentioned kind of in addition to sort of the, the writing about sports, I've been writing a lot about kind of the whether it be the restaurant industry or also just, um, I've been actually gotten, I've fallen a little bit into researching and writing about sort of agricultural technology and kind of like, uh, you know, smart farming and how they use like artificial intelligence to for more sustainable and like, you know, kind of things like that. And so I've actually been working on two or three pieces for, uh, for another outlet called uh, Hacking Finance about that. And I've been interviewing some company executives uh, most recently in Europe, but just people who are kind of, I mean, it's just like the, it's sort of the fascinating ways that they're using technology to um, to sort of revolutionize and I don't know, I mean, I guess more stabilize and make more sustainable the, the global like food supply and supply chains. So it's actually like really fascinating stuff. And I've actually just recently started a larger project sort of on the on the market because there's apparently an, like the, an exploding market for sports collectibles and sports cards over the past like year year and a half like it's just been an insane bull market in that uh in that field and i've been speaking you know spoken to a couple of different people about kind of writing broader overviews and possibly just doing some regular writing almost just kind of like a half sports writing half like investment investment research type writing and so uh, hoping to know in the next couple of weeks kind of uh, where that stands and where that's going to go. Interesting. So the the sports card side of things. So like I know in, in yeah. the United States, like football cards and baseball cards, for especially mm-hmm. baseball cards, you know, for the last like 50 years were kind of a big deal. And then over the last like, you know, decade, decade and a half, it kind of slowed down a little bit. And I've, I have mm-hmm. seen the resurgence of that. It, in Europe, are like our soccer or football cards, is that like a, is that a big market? Kind of like it is here? So from what I understand, like, I mean, so I've actually looked, right? So I myself have had, you know, just kind of as we all did, like when we were kids and, you know, I was, a, I was huge into collecting sports cards and stuff like that. And then um, like in my teenage years, I sort of um, just kind of focused on like, I would buy basketball cards, you know, and like, and it was kind of right along the time with the rise of Kobe. And so what what's happened is like, I kind of built up this rather impressive kind of trove of, of basketball cards, namely like kind of old Kobe cards. And in the past year, and I guess the the phenomenon has been that uh, as people have been, you know, the, because of the pandemic and people were stuck at home, had, an, you know, kind of for the people who were fortunate enough, you know, kind of to continue to have disposable income, um, people were stuck at home, had very little to do, um, and 
had fewer outlets for their disposable disposable funds. No one was going out to dinner. No one's going on vacation and things like that. And kind of over the summer, like there was probably like three or four like seven figure sports card sales, like individual card selling for seven figures. Um, and kind of along with it, the entire market kind of, you know, I think it's fueled a little bit by nostalgia and a little bit by people spotting hot markets and, and things like that and kind of jumping on board. But it's gotten to the point where like, I mean, there's an old 1950 something Mickey Mantle card sold for like two and a half million dollars. But what it actually is, is the people who bought it had created almost like a fund around it where they're selling, you can buy $25 shares in this two and a half million dollar Mickey Mantle card. What? Yeah. And it's actually like, it's like regulated, it's SEC regulated. That's crazy. I mean, okay, so it kind of makes sense if you think about it, like like the influx, like you talked about, like all the people, and I, I guess this is me making a generalization, but um, maybe the people who grew up and like their, their father, their grandfather had like old baseball cards and maybe those people are coming mm. of age and have a little spare money. And then like you said, the pandemic sort of brought about um, perhaps some yeah. some old habits like nostalgia and kind of fueled that. That's crazy. You, you can buy shares in a baseball card. That's wild. I own yeah, part and of then, the and then basically it's like. Yeah, so kind of the argument goes that, you know, it's theoretically, it's kind of in terms of rarity and things like that. Like it's it's comparable to sort of buying a piece of artwork or, you know, buying a, you know, a super rare bottle of wine or things like that. And so it's just kind of becoming this sort of different kind of, you know, uh, less, I guess, less liquid or less kind of less mainstream asset class. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, things have just been going crazy. There was like a Mike Trout card that sold for over like $3 million. What? It's... Uh, yeah, man, it's, yeah, it's absolutely going bonkers. And so when you were talking about like the football stuff, so what I actually did over the years was like, I would always just kind of troll eBay, like kind of troll eBay and see kind of what I could find, like old like Barca stuff, stuff like that. And um, like, I actually have, there's like a handful of like Lee, uh, Lionel Messi rookie cards. And I bought, I have like three of them from, that I bought maybe three or four years ago. And I don't think I paid, you know, I paid maybe between, maybe between, like 40 and 75 bucks for each of them like the market was like very depressed like they're well into the hundreds now you know like i was able to buy like you know chavi and iniesta stuff like that for like 25 30 bucks and they are like but i don't know if that market i don't know if that demand is actually coming from like spain i'm sure there's wealthy people here who have an interest in that sort of thing but there aren't really sort of like that idea of kind of collectibles and you know memorabilia stores sort of the, the way we have them more prominently in the in the US isn't so much a thing here. So I think a lot of that is kind of uh, US and probably sort of, you know, uh, maybe like English money that's investing in that kind of thing. And, um, but they're just sort of buying, you know, sort of the, the kind of the, the best in breed, you know, so they're buying like Messi and Ronaldo and kind of all that kind of stuff. Interesting. So um, it's fascinating. Yeah, that, that I mean, is fascinating. Just, I hadn't thought about stuff yeah. like that. I hadn't either until just kind of, I, I read an article about it, like maybe, you know, two, three months ago. And I just started digging deeper and deeper. And I was just like, oh my God, like this is, yeah, it's just, it's sort of the, the rising tide is lifting like all boats, you know, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> um, so yeah. this is a Barcelona podcast. So I guess we'll, I guess yes. we'll talk about Barcelona for a little bit. Although I, I would like yeah. to talk more about sports cards because that's wild. But um, so apologies since, for the digression. <laughs> no, no apology necessary. Um, so since the last time we chatted, Barcelona have somehow made it into the top four in La Liga. 
Uh, they are right. still, you know, they have two matches in hand over Atletico. If Atletico win both of those, they're still like, I think like 13 or 14 points back. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're only five points back of Real Madrid. Uh, the consistency that Kuman has found somehow in La Liga, I think is, you know, partially due to him figuring out what he wants, the players coming into form, time, having time off from the Champions League. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on Barcelona's La Liga form? I think when we talked about it last time, I think we both hedged ourselves. Like, you know, of course they could still get back into it, but what we've seen so far, like they have to turn it around quickly. They've turned it around. They have. Um, I mean, I think the only kind of the the biggest bummer was the the late equalizer, I mean, late-ish equalizer that uh, that they conceded against uh, Valencia because that could have been, that potentially could have been another uh two points on the, on the table and have them, um, I'm actually pointing at the table right now, but, um, you know, I mean, that's kind of a bummer, but I mean, I think the, the form has kind of gone back to, I think maybe the, the closer to the, if not the best case, at least sort of a, a more kind of net positive version of what we might've thought of coming into the season, because I mean, this isn't sort of a, a peak vintage Barcelona team, but I mean, I think you and I have sat here, you know, kind of every time we've talked about this and we've just, you know, you, you almost just think that even if it's not the, the best of Barca that we've seen throughout the years, there is enough talent on this team to to be better than what they were, just kind of scuffling and, and just kind of blowing games stupidly. So, I mean, I think they're they're getting results, you know? I mean, I think the, the game against Wesco was really interesting to me because – well, one thing that happens is uh, like when I watch a Barca game, a lot of times, like depending on the time, like, you know, my wife will just be in the living room. Like she doesn't necessarily watch with me, but she'll be reading or something. And the one thing that she's uh, over the years sort of really come to enjoy is that that one nil Barca win where they absolutely just dominate the game, dominate the ball, have 20 something shots on shots on, you know, shots and maybe like a dozen shots on target, but they win one nil. And in our house, we've kind of deemed that the uh, the victory where no one, you know, the, the games where no one goes home happy. Like, you know, Barca goes home with three points, but it's, you know, sort of less impressive and much harder work than it should have been. And Wesco was, you know, theoretically close, but never really in it. But so, I mean, I think it's, but those are the, those are the wins that they weren't getting before. And I think, um, I think not making errors to sort of fumble away two of those points is, is really kind of vital for them. And I mean, I think, well, I think the, the biggest thing is, I mean, Pedri is awesome. So, I mean, it's, uh, he's, I think, been kind of the, the sort of spark that, um, that Barca needed really badly. And, and I think like, it's just, they need some of that. They just need some of the talent to kind of, not exist in a vacuum, but actually mesh and sort of link up. And when you get a young guy who's that talented, that, you know, seems to be linking up really beautifully with Messi, that's kind of the best of all worlds. I actually, so I had something in my notes. Uh, if you had to choose one, and this is like a classic like ESPN first take question, but I still wanted to ask it. If you had to choose one sure. for the next 10 years, yeah. <laughs> would you choose Pedri or Fati? Oh, because like two months ago this wasn't a question right but now it's kind of like you know (laughs) i mean 
I don't know. Like, I don't know how much of it is recency bias or like right now I want to say Pedri. Um, I mean, I'm going to say Pedri by, by the, by the narrowest of narrowest of margins, but um, I mean, it's an excellent question. Um, yeah. Fancy I mean, I think was I would unbelievable say before he got hurt. Like he was incredible. Yeah, I know that's the thing. That's the thing too. So, I mean, I, I'm delighted that it's not an actual decision that Barca have to make, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's really tough. I mean, I think the one thing the Fati sort of has that um, sort of is, is missing a little bit elsewhere in the squad outside of obviously Leo is like, he's, he's a scorer. You know what I mean? Like he's kind of, he, he does a lot of other things extremely well, but he, sort of he attacks the he attacks the goal he attacks the then you know the the opposing keeper i think in a way that is is kind of rare outside of messi on on the rest of the team in spite of all the talent that you know that's present on the team so i do think i don't know man it's really tough <laughs> watching Pedri these last few weeks it's you know you kind of like ride that high but then yeah and then as soon as as soon as Ansu Fati comes back it's you know, it's going to be an absolute delight to have him back too. Yeah. Um, like you, I mean, it, yeah, like you it. said, it's good that we don't have to make a decision, but what an abundance of riches, right? It really is. I mean, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Pedri, but like whatever, ask me tomorrow and it might be different. So, um, but yeah, those two are kind of one in one a for massive, like optimism for the future and just bursting with exciting talent. So, 2021 Barcelona questions. We're at the start of the year. Uh, this yeah. is a great time to make ridiculous predictions. Uh, my first question yep. is, will Ronald Koeman be the manager at the end of this year? I, okay, so I don't think so. Um, okay, so barring, I mean, I guess it all comes down to so I think we've, I don't know if we've talked about this, but I think this happened since we last spoke. So, you know, it's uh, in four days, I guess they're doing the preliminary elections for Barca president. And then I guess everyone that gets something like 2,257 or some such number of votes of the, you know, out of the 110,000 uh, socios gets like essentially moves on to the sort of the, I guess, like the final round of elections, which I guess are going to be on January 24th to 25th. And um, it's funny. So two doors down from us, there's a hotel and um, it's been completely masked in uh, pictures and kind of, uh, what do you call it? Like campaign paraphernalia of Victor Font. I think it's his, uh, I think it's his campaign headquarters. And then a block away is, I think it's uh, Juan Laporta's. And so from everything I can gather, it's, they are the, it seems like they are kind of the, the clear cut front runners. It's going to be one of those two. And I think like the whole thing is Victor Font, from what I understand, his, his platform or his kind of, his ideal, his, the promise that he's selling is that if he wins the presidency, he's going to bring Xavi back as the manager of the team or the coach of the team. And so now I don't know if now there's been there's been kind of debates too as to um whether Chavi's gonna leave Qatar 
this coming summer to come back and coach Barca, or if that's kind of a little bit of a, a future plan. But um, I know that's kind of that's the that's a dream he's been selling, and so. I think barring some sort of like, you know, miraculous run where, I mean, I do think that Atleti for all intents and purposes are probably too far gone. If they win both of their games in hand that they have on Barca, I mean, they have a, what, they'll have a 13 point lead with 20, what is it, 21 games left to go. And I don't know if they can overturn that. Now, I think if they can, if they can at least leapfrog uh, Real Madrid and finish second in the league, um, I think it would be a little bit tougher, especially given kind of the the rough way the season started. But if they can start the season that poorly and kind of right the ship and, you know, finish second in the league, like overturn Real Madrid and then, um, you know, and make some sort of noise in the Champions League. I mean, whether that is just simply get to the quarterfinals and, you know, at least exit with like a shred of dignity in fact. <laughs> um, like, I think it might be, it, he, he might've, you know, Kuma might've done enough at that point to, to warrant kind of running it back another year. But I mean, I think if it just kind of goes this way, like if the, if the table holds and, you know, Barca finished third and, you know, kind of exit in the last 16 or the, or the quarterfinals of the champions league, I don't know if there's going to be sort of enough, enough uh, kind of good vibrations around everything that's going on. Um, now, that being said, too, uh, we are seeing sort of Pedri is thriving under Kuman. So if that continues for the remainder of the season and, you know, Ansu Fati was fantastic to start the season and, you know, he comes back and if he sort of hits the ground running and, you know, it's like if Ricky Pooch is kind of featuring and playing well and, you know, and De Jong and kind of that, that new guard that they sort of assembled uh, sort of looks like they're coming together and, and really kind of building kind of a backbone for a team. I think it might be difficult to, I think he'd warrant another year kind of, because a lot of what so many people said was Barca needs new talent. Barca hasn't done anything with, you know, whether it's Lamasia or their new signings, like there was just so many swings and misses. I mean, if he can actually connect on sort of three or four of these guys sort of actually developing and growing and turning into, you know, kind of what looks like future, future stars, uh, he'll have probably earned himself at least another year. Now, like I said, I don't know how the politics comes into it though. So, you know, kind of whoever becomes president, I mean, I'm sure all of these, like, cause I think all of these guys sort of have their, sort of platonic ideal or their ideal of sort of the, the, the Barca historical figure that they want to, you know, put on the bench. Like everyone kind of wants to bring in their own Croy for their own, their own Guardiola. And so, um, so I think that's always like a big question mark where even if he does do relatively well, there might just be a president who's just so desperate to put his own fingerprint on, on the club immediately that, that that might overrule it, but I think if Barca can finish second and give a really credible showing in the Champions League, and the young players continue to thrive, I mean, I think, I think that's reasonably should be enough to buy yeah. them in the year. And so th- that leads into my next question: Is if you have to give a prediction, who do you think is going to be the next Barcelona president? 
Um, so, so like I said, I think it's a font or Laporta or font and Laporta seem to be the, at, at this point, at least the, the front runners. And so the one thing I, and I've been reading up, uh, you know, I've been reading up on the candidates. And, um, so the thing with font is, so his whole thing is he wants to, he wants to bring back, uh, he wants to bring back Chavi as the coach and he, and he's making a lot of the, the noises about, you know, wanting to keep Messi here and Messi should, you know, Messi should only ever play for Barca and, you know, things like that. Um, and, you know, and understandably and, and reasonably he said, you know, on the, on the current wage package that he's on, we don't know if that's tenable, but um, if we can actually strike a deal with him, you know, he wants to keep Messi here. He wants to bring Xavi in. And the, the thing is his, he seems to be really swinging for the fences with some of his, with the other problems too, because like he kind of has this vague kind of beating the drum of, yeah, it'll be great to bring Neymar back, but with kind of the, the where does the money come from is the, the really kind of nagging question there. So, I mean, in that sense, I mean, I think I'm, um, I'm leaning slightly Laporta, um, but that's also colored by the fact that, you know, he, he was in charge during kind of when they put together the greatest club side ever. I don't know that he inherently is just going to kind of cruise back into the, to the, you know, president's box and set everything right. But I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit partial to Laporta. So okay. I don't know. There How you about go. you? Do you have a... I, I listen. I uh, I've been a little bit consumed with my own presidential elections over here, so yeah, the Barcelona right. ones have been a little uh, a little secondary. Um, See, I I just live in election season now. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. It just never ends. ends. And... You're talking about votes yeah. actually being counted over there. It's weird. Um, yeah. Uh, so will will Lionel Messi stay at Barcelona this summer? Oh man, um, I mean. So I guess the only, now I don't know what the Man City situation is, um, kind of, no, I mean, obviously like the, the money is there, you know, like the, the owners of Man City have the, have the cash to do it. Um, I mean, Leo can leave for free. So that's the, that's the big thing. Now, I don't know, does he want to leave and go to, because I know PSG is the other big one, because he could kind of go back to PSG, link up with Neymar and, um, Little, little Mauricio Pochettino action, huh? Right, yeah, fellow Argentine, yeah. And um, so, I mean, I guess that's the biggest kind of potential thing. There's a part of me that's still, I don't know. I mean, I, I do think the, I think some of the, I don't even know what it is, kind of the, the, the toxic atmosphere that was, that was kind of hanging over everything. And since Bartomeu left and we're seeing kind of candidates who aren't kind of from the, the Bartomeu, Sandro Rossell tree emerging as the, the, you know, probable next president. So I think there's a little bit of the, some of the kind of that, that horrible vibe around the club. I think it's maybe subsided a little bit, but the, the problem is the, the financial concerns are very real. You know, even if everybody's delighted, I mean, like the the club, it sounds like they are kind of kind of broke. So I don't know how that. 
I don't know how that factors in. I don't know, is Messi willing to, because what's the deal? I mean, I guess like they say that he costs the club in the neighborhood of like a hundred million euros a year. And so, I mean, I'm guessing, I mean, is someone able to talk him down to like 60, you know? And just, you know, is he, is he that dedicated to kind of the club, the city and the fans and like this new crop of players that's coming through, you know, to leave what probably a hundred plus million on the table for the remainder of his career. And I mean, there's, there's a part of me that could see it. I mean, just because everything you ever hear about him, like he, he's a creature of habit. Like he loves kind of being kind of feeling safe, secure and comfortable. And his home is here, his family's here, his family loves it, kind of all of that stuff. And he's already kind of generationally wealthy. So, but it's also, it's very easy for me to speculate on another man leaving 40 million a year on the table. So, um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I'd say he, I say 55, 45, he stays, but it wouldn't surprise me if he did walk. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I guess, and in my thought, it would have to be, I, I think it would be PSG. Um, like if he left, because I don't know if Man City sort of between the sort of the, not only the changing of countries, but kind of the, the severe like language barrier and, you know, and, and I know Pep and, uh, you know, some of the ex Barcelona brass are in charge of Man City. So he wouldn't be completely sort of a fish out of water there. But I don't know if kind of swapping Barcelona for Manchester at this at this point uh, would. I don't know how attractive that would actually be. I mean, I can see the PSG thing where it's Paris. It's kind of you know it's not far from Barcelona. It's an equally sort of cosmopolitan and just you know glamorous city to the extent that he cares about that. He gets to hook up with Neymar again, which they are. They've made no secret of the fact that they want to do that, and. Um, I mean, I don't know what happens with Mbappe at that point. I mean, is it just like the the absolute? Jeez. Is it like the MSN again, but like you know, with the 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 MNM or something? Like I don't know. It's just like the the death machine attack. But um, so I don't know. I mean, it's either I think it's either PSG or Barcelona, and I'm slightly leaning Barcelona, but I don't feel great about it. Yeah. No, I think it's kind of the same thing that we talked about last year when the uh, the transfer request came through. Is like, what's going to be the thing that changes his mind from now until next summer? And I don't think that thing has happened yet. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think like you know, yeah, he's getting along with Kuman. Like they've gotten some better results in La Liga, although you know, scraping by in some of those matches. Um, I, I don't think that thing has you know happened where his mind would be changed uh, to feel any different from the way he felt last year. Like I know. I know the presidency changing is a big deal for him, um, but whether that's mm-hmm. enough remains to be seen. So we shall see. Well, I think like the, but I, I do think under the former, the former regime, I mean, not only I think like they just kind of butted heads a lot, but I think where they butted heads a lot was uh, kind of Bartomeu and, and, you know, kind of the, the board or, you know, whatever that, that regime. Uh, and Messi said it himself, you know, whether like on Instagram or in interviews and things like that, I think he was really exasperated and kind of and really kind of angry at the fact that they laid blame for a lot of things at his doorstep. You know what I mean? They did nothing to dispel the notion that 
you know, that Messi was kind of the, the shadow emperor of the team and that he was making all the, you know, he was making all the calls and, you know, it was sort of, he, he said himself, he's like, I'm, I'm tired of everything here being my fault. Every problem that pops up seems, seems to have been caused by me. And so I, I do think that helps. Um, but now, yeah, it's, it's what the new president kind of, it's not enough to just not be Bartomeu. It's kind of seeing sort of what the new president proactively is, is going to try to do and actually be able to do. Yeah, so last question is, uh, and we talked a little bit about the Champions League earlier. So with the form that Barcelona are currently in, how far do you see, like, I guess, do you see them making the semifinals in the Champions League if you had to say yes or no? I mean, let's see. I'm, I, I'm trying to pull up the Champions League, kind of the That's a great the idea. Table, or like the, the draw just because, so I know it's, it's PSG next. And then, Which isn't great. You usually don't want to play the runners up in your uh, your round of sixteen matchup. No, and I mean, I guess, and I mean, I would think the PSG is going to want to uh, going to want to avenge that that six one the you know the the crazy comeback mm-hmm. and uh, so, I mean, I. It, it might end here like you know the, the smart the smart money would say that it will it will end here but um i don't know i mean i think i'm going to be optimistic and say that they can get to the quarterfinals um i i'm not confident that that's actually the case but you know, so to, to turn over a new leaf of like of guarded optimism. So <laughs> just betting odds right now. Um, do you yeah. want to guess where Barcelona sit for favorites to win the Champions League? Uh, sure. So out of 16 teams, I'll say that they're probably. What, maybe sixth favorites, fifth favorites. Uh, I'll say sixth favorites. They are ninth. And so wow. th- I, I clicked on literally the first uh, sports betting website I found. So, you know, sure. I don't know how logical this is, but they are plus 2,000 favorites. Um, Bayern Munich are one, City are two, Liverpool yeah. three, Juventus four, PSG five, Real Madrid six, Chelsea. <laughs> Somehow Chelsea are wow. seven, uh, Dortmund are eight, Barcelona nine, Atletico 10. And then it just goes on from there. That's crazy, huh? Oof. It really is. Also, I mean, I might. I might have a few dollars available for that Atletico bet. <laughs> I mean, they're what? They're probably what? Like, what is it? Twenty? Are they like plus two thousand or twenty two, twenty five hundred, something? Yeah, like that? it's plus two thousand. Yep. That's not bad, man. <laughs> That's. I mean, I know it's a it's a gauntlet. Was, but... Can I short Chelsea? How are they? I don't know how they're in the top ten, but. Um... I don't know either. God, that's. That is wild. That is wild. I mean, I'm just, I, I just think Bayern Munich sooner. Until someone proves me wrong, uh, Bayern Munich are just, you know, they're just different. They are, <laughs> they are really, really good. I mean, they just, you know, they, they just do what they do. And like they're, yeah, like they've, they've kind of recycled that team in such a, such a great way. And they are. I watched part of their match this past weekend. I think yeah, they were down. I, mean, I think they were down like two zero or something like that. And 
it was just they completely just I and I can't even remember the team they were playing, but they just completely dismantled them. I think it was Mainz. It might have been Mainz. Um, and they were just clinical. Okay. It, it was it was disgusting to watch. They <laughs> it made me sick to my stomach. I was like, this team is just yeah. not. No one's beating them. Like they're just it's over. No, they're just they're so hyper. Like they're just they're so hyper competent. It just like, they're not bad at anything. You know, like and they're so deep, man. Like one injury is just not going <laughs> to defeat them. Just there's just no way. No, no. I mean, they're it's insane how good they are. Yeah. So I mean, they're playing. Yeah. So I mean, it's they're playing Lazio next. I mean, I imagine they'll they'll get through that. God, I would. Man. So Chelsea is playing Atletico in this next round. So I, the odds that's weird to me that they're seeing, that they're favorites over atletico at least according to so the side. odds makers are saying that chelsea is going to beat atleti i i'm i struggle to i struggle to come to that same conclusion but uh you know i mean i think uh yeah that's that's a little bit nuts to me it's uh yeah i mean if this bracket that i'm seeing winds up right i mean i guess what barcelona would next be in line to play i suppose well probably juventus because it's juventus v porto I, do they reseed after the 16 or is it like a just a bracket after that? I think it's a bracket if I'm... I can't remember. I, I feel like they changed it. I can't remember. Like oh, no, no, no. There's, no, sorry. There's another draw for the quarterfinals. There's another draw. Okay. Oh, there's oh no, there's draws? Oh, I thought it actually went to a bracket at one point. But I no, thought it did it too, just, but I, I guess not. So there's a draw for... No, there's a draw for the quarterfinals in March... And then, yeah, and for the quarterfinals, the there's there's too. no country protection. Um, any restrictions will yeah. be announced ahead of the draw. No seedings or country protection for semifinals either. And then that's it. Yep, you're right. Yep. So that's yeah. But um, so I guess we don't know. I yeah. suppose. But um, yeah. I mean, I'm not. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not wildly optimistic. But um, yeah, because I mean, PSG is. PSG is always so hard to gauge, though, because, like, of course, they're doing well domestically, because they always yeah, do well yeah. domestically. So it's always just a question of how healthy is PSG and sort of how in sync are they kind of right before they play each of these Champions League legs. Yeah, I mean, like, I would, I don't blame the oddsmakers for making PSG a favorite over Barcelona, like, as long as COVID doesn't impact anything or other injury concerns just looking at the two of them on paper right now like obviously psu would be a favorite so that'll be uh it'll be interesting because like you said i think the first leg is uh in barcelona so um, it is yeah yeah so So, yeah february 16th is uh, in barcelona then march 10th they go back to paris yeah so a month away so barcelona still has some time to find some form in la liga emil thank you for joining us Um, be sure to check out emil's work uh we will link his um a couple of his recent pieces in the post and uh we'll talk soon Josh, appreciate it as always. Thank you.